Earl Blaze at the heat rays. The heat rays. AC at the heat rays. The heat rays. Ball beam at the heat rays. The heat rays. M. Saeed at the heat rays. The heat rays. HP at the heat rays. The heat rays. The heat rays. The heat rays. Good morning and welcome to episode 414 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast by Baseball Prospectus presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I'm Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. We have come to our second-to-last team preview episode, which is the Tampa Bay Rays. Later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will be talking to Andrew Asselford, who covers the Rays and other Tampa-area teams for Fox Sports Florida. Right now, though, we are talking to Tommy Rancel, who wrote the player comments for the Baseball Prospectus Annual for the, the Rays chapter. And... Also covers the race for the Process Report, which is the race blog in the ESPN Sweet Spot Network. Hey, Tommy. How's it doing, guys? Good. Um, so in R.J. Anderson's essay for the race in the BP Annual, he makes the case that the, the new CBA, the current CBA, has hurt the race ability to compete, uh, which Sam and I have kind of gone back and forth on this over the years. We have talked about whether whether the spending restrictions in the amateur draft and on the international market actually hurt small market teams in the long term. Um, do you come down on, on either side of that discussion? Do you think that the Rays are less able to compete now than they were a few years ago? Uh, I, I don't think it's you know that big of a difference. I think the biggest difference is you know the revenue streams and and obviously the you know the CBA is not really going to do anything about that the, you know these richer teams are already giving uh you know a decent amount of money to the, the other teams the rays are have, have been locked into their TV contracts since before they got good so that that was some unfortunate timing i think more than anything if you if you look at one thing that maybe the CBA could address is is the draft order uh, I think Billy Bean said something that, you know, it, it should be tied to team revenue and maybe not team success uh, because you got teams like the Rays and the A's who have been successful with limited revenue, uh, but they've been picking at the back end of the draft. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's something that if that was flipped, uh, I think that that would help these teams a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, that Billy Bean said that. It seems to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that we very rarely hear the Rays out there sort of offering position papers on how the business of baseball should be run to benefit small market teams more, it really feels like they just sort of slink into the background. Um, is that impression correct? And, and is there a reason why they don't, why they're not out there kind of lobbying for their type more? Yeah, they'll make some comments here or there, but I mean, you, you look at the book that Jonah, you know, Jonah Carey wrote, The Extra 2%, uh, you know, he had to dig really deep to get uh, a lot of that stuff. The team is not you know, at the forefront, uh, they're, they're not the most open organization. I mean, they, they do, uh, you know, they, they will go out there and, and, and make their statements, but, uh, you know, they, they like to keep everything tight to the vest, and I think that's just, uh, you know, something that they feel is a competitive advantage. You know, they, there's there's really no, you know, incentive for them to go out there and, and, and complain or, or say, you know, we want this or we need this or we're looking at this. Uh, to possibly help us. I mean, they, the odds are stacked against them, so why give any team, uh, you know, any more ammunition uh, than they, you know, than they already need? So RJ also makes the case in his essay that the Rays sort of have to live and die by trades. 
uh, because they're they're no longer assured a draft pick when a player hits free agency. They can't necessarily keep a guy on a qualifying offer because a qualifying offer is, is a lot of money for a team like the Rays. Uh, so he says, trades are now the only way to get value out of the soon-to-be-departed. So if that's the case, is it uh, an ominous sign that the Rays weren't able to get the return they wanted for David Price this winter, if that's why they decided to keep him? Uh, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons they didn't get the return. But I also think when you look at at the way the team is set up, they're really, you know, when they traded James Shields, they had a David Price. When they traded Matt Garza, they had James Shields. Uh, you know, they have Matt Moore, but, you know, he's, he looked good in the traditional stats, but he really wasn't. Uh, he really didn't take that leap forward. I think, you know, going into his third full year, if he can take that leap forward, uh, and really become the the staff anchor and and, and lead the staff, uh, you know. While Price is here, I think they'll feel a lot more comfortable in trading Price. I think had maybe he taken that step in their eyes, uh, maybe they would have been a little bit more willing to uh, deal Price, even you know, even if they didn't get a hundred percent of the value they thought they would get back. But I, I think when they looked at the roster. Uh, you know, this was one of the situations where they felt that they were going to be better served keeping price for this year, seeing what they can get in return, uh, you know, if things fall out of it by July, if not next offseason. I think I think that factored into it maybe more than anything else. So with price on the team, the Rays are spending uh, a lot of money by Rays standards and Andrew Friedman and Stuart Sternberg have uh, both said basically that the team can't afford to spend this much money. Um, do you have any reason to doubt that that's the case? And if it is the case, uh, what is it about this year that that makes it so important that the Rays are willing to go above their budget? We've seen that number change because a couple of years ago, uh, you know, they kind of said the same thing that, you know, the number that they were at was unsustainable. That was that after the 2010 season they took a dip but obviously we see it's back up to uh, a level where it's never been before i think part of that is you know the the national tv money that's coming in um you know part of it is that maybe this is the last run with david price and this this might be their best shot at winning a world series and we all know flags fly forever so uh you know maybe they figured let's stretch ourselves thin a little bit this year because maybe price is not going to be around next year. So right there, you're looking at a significant uh, chunk of change coming off the books. And then you have a lot of guys who are still not yet arbitration eligible. So, you know, they're, they're going to be at a fixed cost. So I think with the, with the new TV national TV money coming in, plus maybe price being his last go around that they, you know, it's just not an all in year. They didn't, they didn't really sacrifice anything going into the future. It's not like they gave up a bunch of prospects to get a bunch of veteran guys in here. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's all in money wise, but uh, I, th- I think that's probably why they did it. So to just completely steal a question that was asked in the uh, AL East Divisional Preview uh, Tuesday by Zachary Levine and Andrew Koo, um, how bad do the Rays have to be in July uh, for us to see David Price get dealt this this season? I would say probably, you know, double digit games back uh, when, when you look at. Uh, you know, a lot of people say they waved the white flag uh, when they traded Scott Casimir in, in late August to the Angels. They were, you know, four or five games back at that point, but they were fading fast. And, and I think they knew that with or without Casimir, they weren't going to make it. So I think if, you know, we're at a situation where they're 10 games behind uh, Boston and, and things don't look like it's going to turn around and then they're not going to be able to get 
uh, you know, one of the wild card spots. I think that's when they'll, you know, seriously consider moving him. Uh, I, I don't know if they, you know, the, the value is going to be any different than, uh, or, you know, in the off season, because you're, you're still going to trade him before the season starts. The other team should still get, you know, the qualifying offer, uh, you know, benefit of, of price being there. So, so I don't know how much of a difference it is. Maybe you get a team that's just desperate to make the playoffs and, and you go ahead and do it. But I think they'd have to be a significant number of games out, 10-plus games, uh, in, in order to do that. And and is there is there a, sort of a next Ray that's going to be on the trade market? Is there anybody else who's kind of uh, looming as a guy that we're going to hear rumors about for two years before they finally, you know, take some team's uh, farm system off of them? You know, it might be Matt Moore when you when you look at it. If he doesn't take the leap in, in their eyes, this guy signed to a team-friendly contract, you know, a lefty that can throw in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, if he doesn't become the guy that the race, you know, think that he, uh, you know, was going to be when they signed that contract, that could be, uh, you know, a situation where they could trade him with four or five years of team control and get a lot back. So... Um, you know, it's still early, and, and I think I think with Matt Moore, it's more mental than anything. I think he's a really smart guy, and I think sometimes that can get into a pitcher's head where where they start thinking about things too much. So uh, I think he I think he has the ability to turn around, but if not, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he would be next after Price. So the Rays ranked 26th on our organizational rankings at Baseball Prospectus this year, and. Uh, their trajectory for 2015, according to Jason Parks, is down based on the fact that uh, some of their talent is at the upper levels and might graduate to the majors during this season. How scary is that for a, a small market team that seems to sort of depend on cycling in new cheap players uh, as often as possible? You know, I think people see the lack of the, the impact prospects and then they start to freak out a little bit. But you, if you look at some of the trades that they've made, you know, over the past couple of years with, with some of the lower level talent. I mean, trading Derek Dietrich for Unel Escobar. You look at how they got Ryan Hannigan and, and Heath Bell this year. Basically traded, you know, Justin Choate, who's a prospect that nobody ever heard. Uh, you know, I mean, so, so they're using these lower levels of, of the minor leagues to get big leaguers back. So while they're not graduating, uh, you know, their own big leaguers as a rate that people would like to see, they're still churning... Uh, you know, this farm system in, into quality major leaguers. I mean, you know, Escobar was one of the better shortstops in the American League. They hope that Ryan Hannigan can bounce back at the plate. If not, they hope that he's a steady hand behind him. They're hoping, you know, Heath Bell can bounce back. And that they got those guys with, you know, guys who may have been bottom of the top 10 prospects, uh, maybe not even some organization. So, you know, the, the lack of impact prospects is, a little bit concerning, but you look at where where this roster is right now. You know, wh- where are you going to put a guy? I mean, everybody's signed, uh, you know, position player wise through 2015. The rotation is in good order. So even if you you know you have guys like Odorizzi and, and Nate Carnes and any Romero, uh, you know, the, the the major league roster is pretty set for the next couple of years. So there's room. You know, when when you trade David Price, you'll get some impact prospects. Uh, you know, hopefully some of the guys that are, you know, in high A, double A, maybe they take a leap forward. So while the you know top 100 guys aren't there, they're still using the farm system to get major league players back, and and they have time before they are going to need that next wave of talent. So um, Joe Madden right now, 
I would guess is maybe the most universally respected manager in the game. It seems like he's a guy who who does X's nose very well and, and has an extremely good reputation for how he handles a clubhouse. And you would imagine that um, you know there's there's some team out there that would presumably pay him a great deal of money to be better than you know whatever retread they're uh, they're 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 hiring now or you know the inexperienced former players who've been hired recently. So. Uh, how have the Rays managed to hang on to him? Why? I mean, th- I can't imagine if they can't afford to keep their players. I can't imagine they could um, hold off a, a concerted effort to steal Joe Madden from him. So, how come they've been able to keep him? Yeah, you look at at what they've built here. It's, it's a really unique situation, and I think you know that, that's pretty much it. It's it's the understanding from Stu Sternberg at the top to Andrew Friedman to Joe Madden that. You know, they're building this thing and everybody's comfortable where they are. You look at Andrew Friedman and guys in his front office, you don't see a lot of, you know, his second, you know, lieutenants and all that going off and becoming GMs of other teams. Everybody kind of likes to stick around. It's just a really unique situation. Even even with the players, you hear guys who leave say, you know, it's a great place and then, you know, I'd love to go back there. Or you have players when they get here, you say, I heard this was a great place, but I never knew you know, it was like this. I think it's just a, a comfort level all around. Uh, you know, everybody's making money, you know, regardless of uh, the revenue streams. I mean, he Joe Madden is compensated well. Could he be compensated, you know, at a higher rate? Sure. But, uh, you know, at, at what cost is, is your happiness? And, and we all know that Madden is, a you know, a bird of a different feather. He likes... Uh, you know, he likes to do things his way, and I, I don't know if he could do things his way in other markets, especially with the media and, and, and scrutiny from the outside. I think I think he's in a great situation, and I don't see, uh, you know, maybe we, we thought maybe the St. Louis job when it opened up a couple of years, I mean, that was his team growing up. But uh, other than that, and obviously he passed up on that, uh, I don't see a situation where where he would jump ship. Do do uh, do the salaries of of Madden and Friedman ever ever leak? Do, do, is there any sense of how they are compensated relative to their peers, or is that completely part of the Rays' uh, information black hole? Yeah, that that's locked up somewhere with the interns. <laughs> um, so the the most money the Rays spent this winter was on James Loney, and there was I think maybe a something of an internet perception that that was surprising or an overpay. A lot of people lumped Loney in with Casey Kochman, who had a, a surprisingly successful season for the Rays in 2011, and, and they let him go rather than committing to him, and he cratered in Cleveland. Um, so why commit to Loney? Was that a function of the first base market, or are people underrating James Loney? You know, I think part of it was the the way the first base market goes. You, you look at it, and then there's escalating salaries, and, and there's... You know, when guys hit free agency at first base, uh, you know, they're going to be well compensated. You know, you look at Prince Fielder's contract. So I think they were looking at the market. I think the Rays have been playing a little bit of a Russian roulette. We're going to the market and, and you know, hitting on these first basemen at some point, you know, that that was going to run out. So I think they looked at Loney's profile and, you know, it, it's it's unspectacular, but it's it's steady. And, and people will make the comparison to Casey Kochman. But if you look at what James Loney did, the years prior, I mean, he cratered in 2012, uh, but before that, you know, he, he was you know around a league average bat with a good glove, and I, I think that's what they're expecting. And then when you look at the terms, uh, you know, average value of, of seven million per year. I mean, that's what they're 
they're pretty much paying for. I think with Casey Kochman, that was a thing where, you know, the profile didn't change much, but the results were, were off the chart, and that was something that you could see wasn't sustainable. With Loney, uh, you know, it looks like 2012 was the outlier, not 2013. If you look at his numbers relative to career, I mean, they were a little bit higher, but nothing that, uh, you know, nothing that you would expect to to go back to that 2012. He, he makes really good contact. Uh, he has a good understanding of the strike zone. So as long as that stuff maintains, uh, you know, uh, we, we talk about the process, the process is there. Uh, so he should net the result. It might not be as great as 2013, but again, they're not paying him uh, you know, that big of a salary. I mean, it is relative to the raise, but when you look at where, what the market is, uh, you know, where the market is going, I think the raise looked at that, you know, what, what is that kind of player going to cost in two years? Are we going to be able to sign that guy? And are we going to be able to keep, you know, finding these diamonds in the rough? I think all of that factored in. So we've asked a version of this question to a couple of the writers before, but uh, what's the last uh, raise move that you were sort of unambigu- unambivalently against? Oh, boy. Uh, it, it's been a while because even, even the moves, like even Fernando Rodney from a couple of years ago when – when he was signed, you kind of take a step back and you say, you know, you know, this move doesn't make sense. But then you see a guy who throws 95 with, a, you know, what they call the Bugs Bunny changeup. And you say, well, you know, this guy has tools. It's just a matter of, of putting it together. So even when they make, uh, you know, an uncharacteristic move right there, you uh, you kind of understand. I mean, uh, I'll be a homer and just say I love James Shields and. Uh, I never wanted to see him traded, even if it got, you know, even if it netted Will Myers and Jake Odorizzi, these guys. I mean, just for personal reasons, I would have loved to see Shields uh, stay in a raised uniform uh, for, for his career. And has there been any talk of a Will Myers extension? And and I guess leading up to previous extensions that the Rays have signed, has, has that news sort of circulated before it became official? Were there leaks and rumors? Or should we just sort of assume that if a Myers extension does get done, the first we'll hear about it is, you know, the press release. Yeah, that's typically how it's done. Uh, you know, when when the Rays first got him, everybody assumed that something like that would happen. But, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, you know, Matt Moore is really the last, the last time they did that, and that was a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, since then, we've seen, you know, the Braves sign, what, five, six guys this offseason – uh, meanwhile, the Rays have a lot of candidates that you would expect that, you know, they they would try to sign in Alex Cobb, Chris Archer, Will Myers. Uh, but we really haven't heard anything or we we really haven't seen anything. So so I wonder if that philosophy is changing a little bit where, uh, you know, maybe they're a little bit more hesitant or, or maybe they're deciding that's not the way to go. Maybe they're just going to, you know, get their six years and, and or, you know, their five years and move everybody in their last year and just see where that goes or you know, maybe maybe just the players aren't interested. Maybe the teams have gone to bat, you know, and, and the, the players just aren't swinging. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, Myers would definitely be at the top of their list if they, if they could lock up a guy. But, uh, you know, he's already starting to rack up some accolades and some numbers that, uh, you know, it's not going to be maybe as team-friendly if they did want to get that contract extended because he has some things that will play up in arbitration as long as he stays healthy for the next couple of years. All right, so it's prediction time. Uh, we need to know how many wins the Rays are going to have this year, and then I, I have a follow-up prediction after that. 
Uh, I like 92. I mean, they won 91 uh, before they, they had to play that extra game. So uh, I see them being, you know, slightly better. Uh, 92 seems like a good number. And and so secondly, uh, you know, this is the right now the Rays are projected to be the best team in the American League. Um, the, I, you can almost argue that this is uh, entering a season maybe the best team they've had during their recent run. And, uh, you know, as we've as we've noted, the farm system, uh, you know, is 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 currently a, a little bit barren. And and as many people have noted, the advantage of, you know, small market teams that figure out something smart should go down as other teams incorporate uh, those sort of uh, smart things that they do. So uh, I'm curious when you think the the next year that they'll lose 90 games is going to be. Um. Like if you can imagine it, if you can imagine a cliff is looming, basically, or do you think that they're uh, still in a position where they can keep winning, uh, you know, respectively every year? Yeah, I don't see that. I don't see a, a drop off that significant for maybe you know the next five or six years because. You know, Evan Longoria is still still going to be here for a while. Will Myers is still going to be here for the next five or six years. Uh, same with with guys like Alex Cobb and, and Chris Archer. So even though the names will change, uh, you know, at, in some places, the, the core is going to be here for a while. So I wouldn't say, uh, you know, I mean, anything could happen. You know, you have these weird fluke years. But as far as talent-wise, I don't see a 90-loss team in the next five years. All right. Uh, thank you, Tommy. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay, so everyone can go read Tommy's Ray's writing at Process Report. You can follow him on Twitter at trancel, T-R-A-N-C-E-L. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP for the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Now stay tuned for Nick talking to Andrew Asselford. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm here with Andrew Asselford of FoxSportsFlorida.com. How's it going, Andrew? I'm doing well. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Only got two more of these left. We've gone through the first 28 teams in our series. So we made it through yet another offseason without David Price being traded. He's got two years left now before he reaches free agency, so they'll still be um, some people wondering if he'll get traded before the end of next year. What factors will determine Price's future with the Rays? Well, it was interesting. This whole offseason, I think most of us around the team thought there was a good chance he wasn't going to be here at the start of spring training this year. I remember after the Rays were eliminated out of that ALDS series since the Boston Red Sox past year, the next day during locker cleanout, David Price was really abrupt and leaving. He didn't even address the media when the television cameras came in and the rest of the players kind of uh, rehashed the season a little bit. He did a conference call later on that day. But you could tell he was just kind of accepting that his life, everything he knew as a professional baseball player was probably going to change in the offseason. And it didn't happen that way. And it's kind of interesting how this has all played out. I think some of the Tanaka market affected him in a way, just how everything was drawn out so long just before spring training started and that market settled and, and, uh, you know, the teams just didn't want to give up as much that it was going to cost to get David Price, given all the prospects probably involved. And, you know, Seattle Mariners are uh, rumored to be involved, but they didn't want to give up, you know, a person like Tuan Walker. So, I mean, it just, it, I think all the chips fell in the place for him to stay this year. I think this will definitely probably be the last year for David Price in a raised uniform, I think. Just the, you know, the possible value of getting something back for him is just too much. 
but you know they've allowed players like Hall Crawford to go to free agency before, I and mean, this isn't out of the question of B.J. Upton signed with the Atlanta Braves. So you know who knows? Maybe um, David Price will go all the way to free agency. But I think if you're the Rays or business decision, you know I think you want to get something back for him. Uh, of course, an AL Cy Young Award winner. You want to get some value in return to keep your franchise a contender in AL East. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But right now they're in good shape with him going into this season. Should be interesting to see how he does. How has this all affected Price? What's his attitude been like going into the season? Oh yeah, I think he's definitely motivated to mm-hmm. do as best as he can this year. It's been interesting watching him in spring training. I think he is definitely relaxed. I think uh, there's this edge about him though too that just uh, kind of shows that he just wants to prove that he's one of the best in the game, and that's not anything surprising. You know, same thing last year too, and of course during that Cy Young Award when he's students as part of his attitude but i think there's something special about the spring with him i think he's carried himself in a certain way and there's definitely that relaxed nature about him that i spoke about earlier just because he wasn't dealt and he's in a comfortable environment i think he said the first day we saw him in spring like i have nicknames for probably 90 percent of the guys in this clubhouse so he's very comfortable in this situation and being around those guys just i think helps his attitude and uh you know just uh uh, makes him perform at an elite level that way. So, yeah, I think he's definitely focused on this year. He wants to be elite in this game, and I think he will do everything he can to you know, make himself one of the best pitchers in the American League and all of Major League Baseball. Matt Moore improved his ERA last year, also gave up fewer home runs, but his walk rate stayed the same, right at about four and a half walks per nine innings. His top two Pocota comparables are Gio Gonzalez from 2011, who began improving his walk rate that year and then spent at about three and a half walks per nine the past couple years. And then the number two one is Edison Volquez, who has continued to struggle with his command. What does Moore need to do to ensure that he'll go down Gonzalez's path? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting year for Matt Moore. I think he needs to definitely work on his command a lot this year. And he's talked about that, too, before. Uh, he knows he's still growing in this game. He's still a young pitcher. It's few years of major league experience. But, you know, the, this will be a big test for him this year because he was inconsistent in the second half of last season. If you remember, he had that stellar first half where – you know, he became one of two raised players during an all-star game appearance along with Ben Zobras. He was one of the you know, American League's best pitchers during that stretch in the first half of the year, but he definitely wavered down the stretch. He had some health problems there with his arm. Uh, definitely probably affected those numbers and uh, affected that control and his confidence going down the stretch. And really by the end of the year, Alex Cobb was the most consistent pitcher on that staff after Matt Moore uh, got off at such a good start. But, you know, he's kind of been rocky in spring this year, too, and it's uh, not something that we haven't seen before. Last spring, Matt Moore had a, a really tough spring training. His um, ERA was really bad, you know, um, uh, but he recovered. And like I said before, you know, he went through with that strong first half of the year during that all-star game appearance so you know it'll be really interesting to see it's kind of a wild card at this point to me to see what he shows because you know given that history that he had last year at the struggles in spring and but he recovered for the regular season had a strong first half and wavered kind of down the stretch in the second half of the year so you know i'd expect a kind of a similar arc for him this year but i definitely think he needs to work on that control that fastball command to keep the ball low simple stuff but all stuff he needs to work on to become a steady rock in the raise rotation. What are the chances that Cobb actually outpitches more over the full year? That's a good question. I think there's a good chance. I'm a big believer in Alex Cobb and his ability. I think, 
you know, if he wouldn't have missed two months last year because of that scary incident with the line drive off the head there in that game against Kansas City Royals off the bat of Eric Hosmer, I think we would be talking about Alex Cobb as one of the best pitchers in American League after last year. And he came back after that injury and just went on a tear. He definitely became, I believe, the most uh, reliable pitcher in the Rays rotation by the end of the year. He started that American League wild card game against Cleveland Indians. He's, you know, solid in that, even though he didn't have his best stuff. He was still. Uh, pretty locked down good in that game. So I'd expect Alex Cobb to be even better this year. And there are whispers down here of him being like a, you know, a pseudo ace in a way. Of course, David Price owns that title as long as he's in a raised uniform, but Alex Cobb has definitely elevated himself to be that person who's, uh, you know, really reliable and ace reliable in a lot of ways, too. So, you know, the Rays have out. Uh, David Price and Alex Cobb is maybe their, you know, one B ace. You know, like the two aces there on staff. You know, that's pretty good. So I think there's definitely a good chance that Alex Cobb can uh, be one of the best pitchers in the Rays rotation this year. How do um, Moore and um, Cobb's results? How will those affect the what the Rays do with Price? Will if they both pitch well, will that give them a little more confidence to trade him earlier? Oh yeah, that's an interesting question. I think they'll keep Price as long as they're a contender, and I don't anticipate the Rays faltering much in the standings. I mean, the AL East is going to be really tough this year, but I expect them to keep a hold of Price, no matter what, and Cobb or more do, um, as long as they're in the running to win the division. I think the only way we could see Price shipped off by the trade deadline in the middle of the year would be as if they're you know really far back from say the Red Sox or the Yankees there in the East, but uh, with the way the Rays lineup is stacking up right now, I don't see how that's going to happen at all, really. We, you have like, James Loney coming back there, and of course, Stalwarts like Evan Magoria, Will Myers, you know, returning AL Rookie of the Year, so I think this is going to be a strong team, and so no matter what happens with the front end rotation outside of David Price, I think they're going to hold on to David Price, as long as they're a contender, because as long as you have David Price, they have a chance to be an elite team in the American League, and the Rays know that, and I think that's part of the reason why it was a win-win situation for them in the offseason. You know, if they got the right deal that came along to trade him, they would have probably jumped on it, but they didn't, so they have him coming back, and they have a guy in his prime, and uh, that gives them a chance in the American League East. You mentioned Loney. Um, he's sort of an interesting character. He had his worst season of his career in 2012. The Rays signed him to a $2 million contract. Then last year, he had one of the best seasons of his career at the plate. Um, he always played solid defense at first, which is what the Rays originally signed him for. Um, then this offseason, the Rays gave him a three-year, uh, $21 million deal, which was the longest contra- the largest contract that they gave out to anyone this offseason. Uh, what did the Rays see last year that made them think that he's more likely to repeat his 2013 season than his 2012 season? Yeah, I think they just really like this guy's overall makeup. Uh, definitely as a defensive first player, and that's how how the Rays are built. They win off you know, defense and pitching, but you know, only offered them offense as well, and I think more so than they expected. So just the total package in that way, I think, impressed them a lot. And you know, this is a guy, even today, when I was watching out there, they were playing Boston down in Port Charlotte, he made a diving catch at first base. You know, fired the ball the second got the guy out. This is a guy who, you know, just a well-rounded player, and I think he grew more comfortable as the year went on last year as well. He came in to the Rays a little guarded, I'd say. Just his personality was that way, where he wouldn't open up a lot. He'd be really short in his answers to us. 
social media, and uh, he just want to reveal a lot, of, uh, reveal a lot about himself. But as the year went on, he really changed, and he seemed to just kind of grow within that uh, you know, kind of loose atmosphere that the Rays are famous for. And you know, he just became one of the guys in that way. And uh, I remember talking to Desmond Jennings recently, and uh, Desmond was saying, "Yeah, this." You know, I can't imagine what this place would be like without James. You know, he's a, he's a jokester in a way among us, and you know, he really fits in well here. So I just think overall, you know, you know of course he has the defensive prowess. The offensive numbers, of course, were uh, among the best with the Rays last year behind Evan Longoria. And so just the total package that impressed the Rays and was definitely a key thing to bring back, you know, him to keep that in field intact all those guys are american league gold glove award finalists last year and so if you preserve that continuity that's a big big thing for this ball club and i think that just uh, carries momentum from what they had last year and uh, going to the playoffs again and uh, bringing those guys back i think that gives them confidence they can do it again this year continuing to look at the defense um the rays have been one of the teams that has made a pretty notable effort to carry catchers with good framing skills uh, this year, they re-signed Jose Molina and then traded for and extended Ryan Hannigan. Hannigan will be at the top of the death chart, but Molina will get some significant playing time. Joe Madden recently said that he hasn't yet decided exactly how he'll deploy those two catchers. How do you expect playing time to be split between them? Yeah, I would expect Ryan Hannigan to receive most of the playing time. I think it would be about 70-30 or 65-35, something like that. I think Hannigan will have the majority of the playing time. But, you know, Jose Molina, like you said, will be there as well. You know, he'll, uh, he's definitely valued for his pitch framing skills. Like you mentioned, he's a veteran eye back there behind the plate, has experience working with these pitchers in the race. Uh, the staff before, of course, Hannigan doesn't, so he can help Hannigan in that way. But I've been really impressed with Ryan and his work ethic so far this spring. Uh, before spring training even began, he started studying tape of all the raised pitchers against AL East opponents, which just says it's all you need to know about his approach this game and how uh, focused he is about things and you know uh, and talking to the Rays pitchers this spring they've just been really impressed by this guy's intensity um, you know I think he'll bring a certain attitude on the field that maybe Jose Molina didn't in a way more so just kind of fiery attitude just seems like that kind of a guy out there which you sometimes need behind the plate a guy who can uh, kind of harness the emotion out there a little bit. So, yeah, I'd expect Hannigan to be a really key pickup for this team. And Andrew Friedman had talked about that they had their eye on this guy for a while. You know, he spent his entire career at Cincinnati Reds. But uh, I think the Rays had tried to get him in the past, and the opportunity just fell this year where everything lined up for them in that three-team trade to bring him over to Tampa Bay. And I think that's a big pickup. I, I was a little surprised that they were willing to deal Jose Lobaton like they were. Um, you know, for a while there, they had three – catchers on the roster. Um, Lobaton was their number three, but of course he didn't want to do that and keep that many, and so it made sense to ship Lobaton off at that point. But, yeah, I think bringing Ryan Hangigan is definitely an upgrade at this position for the race compared to the two that they had last year, Molina and uh, Lobaton, and I expect big things from Ryan Hangigan this season. Since 2009, Evan Longoria has missed uh, most of one season due to injury and then has been worth between 5.9 and 6.2 wins above replacement player in all four of the other seasons. What's it like to have such a consistent figure in that lineup, especially with Longoria signed with Tampa into the next decade? Oh, definitely. He's the heart and soul of this team. He carries himself like the franchise face. And, you know, where Evan Longoria goes, this team will go. And it's so important that he stays healthy. And we saw that last year. And that was a point that he made last year that he wanted to stay healthy and uh, be in that lineup every day because he knows that as long as he's in that lineup, the Rays have a chance. And, 
you know, we saw that last year. He's just a grinder. Um, so, you know, if he can repeat what he did last year as far as just staying healthy, he battled a little plantar fasciitis last year, fought through a lot of that, and played some DH when he was hurting the most, but it was still, you know, trying to contribute on offense there when he couldn't line up there at third base. But, yeah, this is a guy who, you know, he is the raised face for all intents and purposes. And I think it'll be really interesting to see, too, how he can perhaps extend his legacy in a way within the franchise helping groom Will Myers for a similar role perhaps one day. You know, these are guys who have lockers close to each other there in spring training right now. I think the Rays have made a uh, specific point to try to have Will groomed a little bit better than Longoria because they see the same uh, potential in Will Myers definitely as a power hitter, but just as someone who can be a well-rounded player like Evan and someone who's just as dedicated to the craft as Evan is. I think they see the similar traits in Will. So yeah, I think uh, Evan's definitely stepping into a new uh, part of his career in a way where he can um, become a mentor to a person like Will and just uh, extend his influence within the franchise this way but yeah he's definitely happy here he's grounded here he has you know a child now who's a year old so you know he, he's a big part of this community and a big part of the Rays and a big part of their success over the years so you know where he goes the Rays will travel and I expect him to be a workhorse this year as well. After watching Myers play 88 games in the big leagues and win the rookie of the year last year what do you think his ceiling is? Uh, it's huge. I think that's yet to be seen. I think he definitely has some growing to do in the outfield. That's still uh, a weakness of his sometimes on defense there in right field. But you watch this guy swing, and it's just something special about that. And he's going to strike out. I mean, that's part of the, the deal with him. You know, he'll connect with the ball, but also strike out quite a bit. So, you know, I think inevitably each season he'll go through a little bit of a a slump and he came on strong at the beginning of his call up last year in June if you remember but then he had a little bit of a plateau period uh, late late July early August somewhere around there and then picked up again toward the end of the year so I think you can expect a similar arc each year with him in that way but the ceiling's high for this guy I mean he carries himself like he belongs in the big leagues which he does you know, he's been groomed for this since he was in pretty much in high school, you know, and through the Kansas City Royals system. And then he's the crown jewel of that seven-player trade with the Rays and Royals in December 2012. So this guy knows his place, and, you know, I think he's prepared for the moment. And it showed last year with him winning the AL Rookie of the Year honor, definitely deserved in that situation. I think he's motivated this year to prove that, you know, he can build off of that, and I think he will. This moment isn't too big for him. I would not expect a sophomore slump at all from Will Myers. I think he's uh, mature enough to handle the pressure that comes, because there is pressure with his spotlight, I believe, um, just with how important I think he is to the future of this Rays organization. There is some inherent pressure involved with his role, but doesn't seem to bother him. He's a really you know, steady guy. Whenever we see him, he seems to play that way as well. Like I said, he has some growing to do as a defender, but you know he can do that, and I think he'll continue to excel in the game. The bullpen was a primary focus for the Rays this winter. They signed Grant Balfour to close and then traded for Heath Bell. Tampa's bullpen was in the middle of the pack in terms of ERA last year, but towards the top of the league in uh, fielding independent pitching. Bullpens are obviously very unpredictable. That said, do you think that the Braves' pen will be better following their recent additions? Yeah, I believe so. I think Grant Balfour will be an upgrade over what Fernando Rodney was last year. I know Rodney a couple years ago had that historic year with that low 
ERA, but he was really inconsistent last year at times. He walked a lot of guys. I think Grant was just getting more consistency than what Fernando Rodney was last year. And then you have the solids like Jake McGee, you know, Joe Peralta there, um, you know, and the series seventh and eighth inning guys. So, you know, I think this bullpen will be pretty strong. I think it'll be really interesting to see how this materializes as the year goes on. And so I think there's still some work to be done in shaping the bullpen. It sounds like even at this point, the Rays are still trying to figure out what to do about certain guys like uh, Juan Carlos Oviedo, who is the late arrival of the spring training because of visa issues in Dominican Republic. I think they're trying to shape that still. And, you know, um, let's see if a person like Brandon Gomes fits in somewhere and Josh Lukey, you know. So I think that, that part of the bullpen still yet to be determined, but the big names as far as like a Peralta, McGee, and Grant Balfour in the back end, you can't ask for much better than that if all three guys are on top of their game. And I'm really eager to see how Grant Balfour will fly into the situation this year. Of course, he has a history of the race. He's played here before, before he went to Oakland. And then this past offseason, of course, was supposed to go to the Baltimore Orioles before that failed physical. And I think that situation kind of motivated him a little bit. I think he's definitely eager to show Baltimore and the rest of the AL East that you know, he has something uh, in the tank for this year. And I think he'll definitely... Uh, have plenty of opportunities to show that, and I think he'll excel. So, yeah, it should be an interesting bullpen this year. I think uh, those three names I mentioned will definitely be headliners and give the Rays plenty, and it should give them a chance, you know, when they have the lead late in games. All right, well, that's all I have for you today. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Andrew. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye-bye. That was Andrew Asselford of Fox Sports Florida. You can read Andrew at foxsports.com or follow him on Twitter at aasselford. We've got the final season preview tomorrow as I discuss the Dodgers with Dylan Hernandez of the LA Times. This is a top four connection that we've had in this series. I have three kids in the room too, so (laughs) (laughs) I could change it any minute. So what are they doing right now to to be so well behaved? Oh, they've been knocked out now for an hour. And you're in the same room as them? Yeah. You're talking while children are sleeping alongside you? Sam, Sam at least has the courtesy to go record in his car. Yeah. It's not, it's not courtesy. It's, it's, it's terror. 